listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 102, brought to you by Vessi Seeds. Well, folks, there is an estimate of 15 quadrillion ants in the world. I read that somewhere once. That's a one with 15 zeros behind it. Uh, if you have a garden, you probably have ants in your garden. And uh, the, the question is, are, are they a pest or are they an ally? Are they a little bit of both? Uh, and if they are a problem, what's the best way to control them? Does cornmeal make them explode? If you go on uh, Facebook, you'll hear a lot of different theories on how to deal with ants. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. And luckily, we have celebrity guest, author, YouTuber, master gardener, speaker of truth, biochemist, <laughs> Robert Pavlis, to help answer these questions. Uh, Robert Tell us a little about yourself, uh, what you're all about, what, what, uh, what sort of content you offer uh, the people out there, uh, so we can get a sense of why I've brought you on the show. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. Uh, my favorite topic is gardening myths. I get very frustrated when I'm reading material out of books or on social media and someone posts some nonsense that makes absolutely no sense. And I do one of two things. I either already know it's nonsense. And if I don't know, I, I go and research it and try and look at actual research studies. So although I've been gardening for my whole life, uh, it's not really my profession. My background is more in chemistry and biochemistry and in running businesses. Uh, but I enjoy the science, and so I like to go out and find out the real scientific facts behind things. And that's why I enjoy debunking myths. And in gardening, we, we certainly have a lot of them. Um, ants are an interesting topic because lots of people get on social media and want to get rid of their ants. Yes. And I think the first thing to understand is that you know, unless you're living at the North Pole, maybe you will never get rid of your ants. <laughs> you might chase them from one spot to the next. You might chase them out of your backyard to the neighbors for a little while, but there will be more ants coming in. And there, are, as you say, there's more ants than people realize. Uh, there's something like 22,000 different species. And yet when we discuss ants, we only talk about, we have ants and we have fire ants. And that's about it. Two species, yes. but there's actually 22,000. And what's interesting is that not even all of the species have been discovered yet. So a little while ago, I was talking to someone, he, he was sort of an ant expert, an entomologist, I think you would call him. And he was actually finding new ant species in Toronto, Canada. In the he, city. Pretty much anywhere you go, you can look for new species if you want. I, th I think it's uh, arguable that it's more their planet than ours. Uh, yeah, it probably <laughs> is. Uh, just before we get started in the meat of the discussion, uh, can you tell the audience about the, the books you've written? Because Robert's written a number of books. They're all good reads. I've read all but one of them. So my first book was Building Natural Ponds. I wanted to build a pond without pumps and filters and chemicals. I went through that whole process. That was about 13, 14 years ago. Uh, the pond was a very good success. It's still running. I have almost no algae problems. I, all I ever do is top it up a little bit. And uh, it, was, it was a great success. And I ended up write, being asked to write a book on it. And so that was my first book. 
I've written two books called Garden Myths, book one and book two. Those are completely different. Each one has about 120 myths in it. And my latest book, which was released a few months ago, is called Soil Science for Gardeners. And I go through the whole process of understanding what soil is and what nutrients are. I then have a section that takes you through a process of self-evaluation to figure out what's good and wrong with your soil. And then the third part of the book helps you put together a personalized soil remediation program that you can carry out over a number of years. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's my background in gardening. That's the book. Plus I, have a, I have a small garden too. Uh, I grow about 3,000 different kinds of plants <laughs> on six acres. Uh, anything perennial, trees, shrubs, grasses. <laughs> A small vegetable garden. The other thing I don't do is annuals because that's just too much work every year. <laughs> and uh, if, if my viewers, uh, for whatever reason, get bored or tired of me and they want to access you uh, online, what, very, what, uh, what forums are they uh, able to, to get, get to you through? Uh, if you search for Garden Fundamentals, you'll probably find me. I have a YouTube channel under that name and I also have a blog under that name. And then my most popular blog is actually gardenmyths.com. Right. And last month we hit 10 million visitors. Man, and you also have a Facebook page. You also have a Facebook page? Uh, we have a Facebook group called, uh, uh, no, it's called Garden Fundamentals. <laughs> and we also have one called Building Natural Ponds. There's a Facebook building natural ponds. Of course there wow. is. <laughs> How else do you sell the book? Exactly. <laughs> Actually, our building natural ponds is, has got some like 12,000 members. And it's really catching on this idea of getting rid of all the hardware and the complication oh, yeah. of ponds, right? You basically dig a hole, line it, maybe. A lot of my customers in that group don't line their ponds. And put in lots of plants. Plants are really the secret to a clean pond. And then you just enjoy it. And it's, it's quite amazing to see people all over the world. Their, their eyes are kind of opened up and say, geez, I've always wanted a pump, but I, or sorry, I always wanted a pond, but I didn't want pumps and all the filter problems and the chemicals and the, you know, pH up and pH down and all that nonsense. And it's not necessary. Yes. That's the big surprising thing. For those that are uh, are listening, I actually had Robert on to talk about that book and talk about that topic. So if you go on the Maritime Gardening Podcast website and look for, or you just type in Building Natural Ponds Maritime, probably if you Google that, you'll probably find that conversation. And I actually have a natural pond in my backyard. I got uh, rosy red minnows and goldfish in it and oh. some, you know, some different pond plants and uh, it's, it's going great. Um, and, uh, there's enough foliage, uh, various years. I just don't think I had it deep enough. The water would get low and, uh, something would get in there and kill everything. Like, I think it was a raccoon cause I could see the little paw prints. Um, but this year I made it about 50% bigger and made it about 25% deeper and it's been way better. Uh, but anyway, back to, back to ants. Are they, are they a, a benefit or are they uh, a problem in a garden? Because you go in a garden center, you see a lot of ant killing stuff. And uh, I really don't kill ants in my garden. I mean, they're around. 
and this year I discovered I have fire ants. I still haven't really dealt with them in any way. Um, so, you know, are they a problem or are they a benefit? In what ways are they a benefit? In what ways are they a problem? I think people just hate ants. <laughs> so they automatically assume they're a problem in the garden. And for the most part, they're not. Now, if you're doing small rock garden type plants and you get an ant nest right underneath the plants, they can dry out that soil so much that the little plant will die. But for most garden plants, they really won't harm the plant. Uh, they don't eat plant material like live plant material or flowers or anything like that. They eat dead material. So they go around the garden and, and pick up all the dead plant material or dead insects and take them back to their nest. So they're actually cleaning up your garden for you. They're gardeners. They're gardeners. And not only that, but they take them down into their nest. So they're adding that compost deep in the soil where we want it to be. So they're actually helping us. Right. Their nests aerate the soil, which is good for the soil. So for the most part, they're good for the garden. Uh, ants on peonies, by the way, uh, they're not necessary for peonies to open, which is a common myth. And the problem on, on plants like peonies is the ants actually farm the aphids. And so from that perspective, the ants are perhaps harming plants because we don't want the aphids on the plant. But for the most part, ants are fine in the garden. Now you do have the exception of fire ants, which of course uh, sting you and, and harm you. Uh, so you don't really want fire ants around. Uh, but other than that, I would say leave the ants alone. They're really not gonna do any damage to your plants. All right, so let's talk about those three scenarios where you've got ants you don't want. You've got uh, a, stingy, a stingy ant like a fire ant. Mm -hmm. You've got ants protecting aphids and the aphids are damaging your plant. And you, or you've got the ants, and I've had this happen. It, it's, it's extraordinarily rare in my garden, but I've had it happen where they set up a nest, they set up shop right in a plant and you notice the plants just not, I'm guessing they, they, they tunnel down so far that the water just goes below the plant's roots. Yeah. Um, so and you can just tell, the soil looks beautiful because they're doing all this work with it, um, but the, the plant, it just, you can tell it's not getting what it needs and the plant suffers. But I mean, in my 2,500 square foot garden, I might have one plant a year like that. I didn't have any this year that were in that situation. Um, and my, my two fire ant nests were right in with plants. and They didn't seem to affect them at all. So that's very, very rare. I think that you'd have an ant colony that, that, you know, just, just, um, tunnel so deep and puts so much um, you know air into a piece of soil that it can't hang on hang on to water at all so let's say you know we've established that for the most part they're beneficial and they they're basically like a, a pre-worm shredder of decomposing um, plant material um, but you've let's say you've got a problem and you want to deal with it um, can we talk well, let's first talk about what people say on the internet, when you go on a Facebook group or whatever and say, I, or you just talk to people at work and you say, I got an ant problem, what do I do? In my garden, not in the house, right? We're talking about the garden. I got an ant problem in my garden, what do I do? How do I sort these things out? Right. 
Well, recently that question came up on one of the Facebook groups. It wasn't my group, but it was a general gardening group. And within a few days, we had 15 to 20 solutions for getting rid of your ants. The sad part is almost none of those work. <laughs> You're never going uh, out of business, Robert, with the gardening myths. Never, I, ever I, run I, out. I 20 blogs on how, how to not to get rid of ants if I wanted to. But I put it together all in one blog post. So there are a couple things you can do. Uh, diatomaceous earth uh, will harm plants. And the best thing to do is to put it right in the opening, right where the nest is, because diatomaceous earth has to get on the skin of the ant. And it actually dries out the skin. Right. So the ants will take it into the nest just because it's on their body. And other ants in the nest will get it and it, it will kill some ants. It's very unlikely that diatomaceous earth will get rid of a colony. Right. Uh, you'll, you'll get rid of a lot of ants. But the thing to remember about ants is that the queen is deep down in the nest. And if you don't kill the queen, you haven't killed the colony. If things get really bad in a nest, like you disturb it, you, you stir the soil around and bother them, or you trickle water into their nest continually, they will simply move and the queen will be gathered up with a bunch of ants and they'll just go and make a new nest somewhere else. You're not killing them. And they usually don't go very far. So you may not see them and they're no longer under that particular plant, but they are somewhere else in the, in the garden. Right. You know, so you have to kill that queen if you wanna kill the colony. You said at the beginning of the section that diatomaceous earth damages the plant. I think you meant ants. Uh, the diatomaceous earth harms the ants. Yeah, not, not the plant. Not the plant. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, you, the, if you go and buy commercial uh, products to get rid of ants, a lot of that material has borax in it. Right. And so you can take borax and mix it with anything sweet. So some people mix it with honey. Some people mix it with just sugar. Some people dissolve it up into a liquid. All of those should work. So borax is very toxic to the ants. Uh, borax is also toxic to plants though. Okay. So you have to, you don't wanna spread that around your garden in any large amounts. So what you want to do is put it into a little dish or some little container where the ants will come and get it and they'll take it back to their colony, but you don't really want to spread it around on the soil. And you, I mean, a little bit's okay, but too much borax will kill plants. It's very toxic to plant roots. And you, you mix it in with something because the ants won't really go for the borax unless it's on something that they like. Yeah, apparently they can't taste the borax, so oh. they think they're collecting sugar. Right? They come along, they find this sweet stuff, They'll eat it, they'll take some back, they'll feed it to their, their, uh, the young in the nest, and through that process, you kill the, one, the other ants in the nest. I see. So the borax is poisonous, and the honey and the sugar is the treat that gets them to pick it up. Right. And that, that will work. Uh, and that's probably the best solution for a homeowner to use. Right. Uh, borax is very easy to get. Uh, you'll find it in the laundry section 
of most grocery stores. It's relatively inexpensive. And as long as you don't eat it, it's, it's very safe. Right. So you could mix it in with some water and sugar. You could put it in a coffee grinder with some sugar. You could do things like that. You don't even have to grind it up. You can just take white sugar. The borax is also a white powder and just mix it together. I see. About 50-50. 50-50. All right. Yeah. Now, there are recipes online that are more complicated, and some people boil it, and they do a bunch of other things. But the simplest recipe is just white sugar, some borax, mix it up, and put it somewhere where the ants will find it. Right. And they're going to bring that back to the larvae, to the queen? Um, they'll take it into the colony to feed other ants that are in the colony. Right. So the worker ants are out getting food and they bring it back for the other ants that are in the colony. I see. And particularly the, the ant nymphs or whatever they're called, uh, they feed those while they're very young in the colony. I see. And they'll feed it to the queen as well. I see. Okay. Yes. I like the sound of this. Okay. So this is, if they, I mean, yes, we don't want to bother them if they're not a problem, but if you've got a real problem, this is a pretty serious, pretty good solution, I guess. <laughs> um, so that, that would be your number one recommendation for dealing with an ant problem. If you have a real ant problem, not just, not if, you, if you hate ants, maybe you should get over it. But if you've got an ant problem, that's really causing problems with your garden. Um, that's a good way to deal with it. Do you think people with aphids should address the ants or should they address the aphids? Um, I think most people just, just leave them alone. Leave the aphids <laughs> alone. If you leave the aphids, then aphid predators come along and take care of the aphids. Yes. And if, if you have a lot of aphids on a plant, the easiest thing to do is just spray it with some water. Right. A high stream of water will knock them off. Um, other than that, I wouldn't do anything. I mean, aphids do some damage to plants, but they're never going to kill a plant. I see. And what right? is the, uh, like, so people will say, spray them with water and knock them off, but that doesn't kill the aphid, but it's, it's basically by knocking it off the plant, is that kind of the end of the aphid? It doesn't know what to do after that? Well, the, the aphid now has to find the plant and crawl back up, and, and aphids don't move very well. So they, the aphids usually live on the same plant they were born on. Uh, okay, so they're born, they crawl up and down the plant a little bit, but they're, they don't move very, very far until they develop the wing stage. I see. So there is a, 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 a type of a, a stage in the, in the life of an aphid that doesn't fly, and then there's another version that flies. I see. So at a certain point, for instance, if you have too many aphids on a plant, and there isn't enough food for them all, some of them will be born with wings, and then they'll fly away and form a new colony. Uh -huh. right. So, and by knocking them off the plant, you're just, you're putting them into an environment they really don't know what to do, and they're kind of helpless and extremely vulnerable to the elements and uh, predators in that environment. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't know where the plant is, so they just start wandering around, and, you know, 90% of them will never find the plant, and they die. I see, right? I see. Um, yeah. All right. So we've dealt with that. Now, the what other are, oh, the really ahead. common one, I think, is cornmeal. In terms of bad solutions for ants. Well, bad solutions, yeah. But yes. a lot of people recommend cornmeal. Right. Uh, and the idea here is that the ants eat the cornmeal, 
cornmeal is very dry, but as it absorbs water, it expands. And so it blows up the ant in their stomach. Right. Okay. And I've had people use cornmeal for slugs for the same reason. I've read that. And a couple other different kinds of insects. And all of that is nonsense. There's, there's no insect slash animal that blows up when it eats something dry. It just doesn't happen. Right. Uh, in fact, ants don't even eat a lot of dry food, so they don't eat cornmeal. They'll take the cornmeal back to their nymphs and feed it to them. And the, the nymphs eat the cornmeal uh, uh, and then regurgitate it and feed the ants. But ants like eating more of a, a liquid meal. Right, like a nectar. A nectar, yeah. Right. So the cornmeal doesn't work at all. It just feeds the nymphs, which feeds the, feeds the, you're just feeding the entire colony. Well, you're, you're feeding the, the nymphs maybe a little bit, um, but yeah, it's a food source for them. Yeah. There's no way that cornmeal will ever harm an ant. Why do you suppose people are so, um, I mean, I, I've, every time I do a, a video about slugs or ants, I get this cornmeal bit. And uh, why do you think it's so rampant that people believe this idea? Well, I think there's sort of two reasons why people believe some of these, these myths that can't possibly be tr true. One is that a lot of people repeat what they've heard, right? So last week I was on Facebook and someone said cornmeal works. And I remembered that. So now I'm going to tell somebody else next week when they ask the question. So a lot of those people that write into social media have never actually tried the, the product or the technique, but they read about it mm -hmm. and they believed it worked. So they pass it on as if it works. Yes. And I think a lot of the, that happens in social media. <laughs> the second thing is that if you try a solution, most people want it to work. Yes. And they might put it on their sidewalk and they might see less ants tomorrow. It worked. Right? Yes. It doesn't mean the ants actually left. It just means that maybe you went out too early and it was too cool or too hot. If it gets too hot, ants stay underground. If it's too cool, they stay underground. You came out the wrong time of the day, you didn't see ants. But you saw what you expected to see. So and then the, the type, type one error goes. Um, yeah. You, yeah, you just say, okay, and then I you guess get on social media and say, hey, I tried it and it works. <laughs> Even though scientifically we know it can't possibly work. Right. <laughs> and if you get one person saying that, now you've got 20 other people who are going to tell other people and it just snowballs. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So that's Gormill. What else? What else have you got for us? Uh, boiling water is a very common one. That one makes sense to me. What's the problem and, with that? Uh, well, that's good because it does sort of work. Kill some ants? It, it will kill some ants. And right. in fact, it's one method that's used for fire ants. And so the idea is you go and you get some boiling water, you pour it into the hole, you burn the ants, and they're dead. And uh, it works to a certain extent because hot boiling water will kill some ants and you'll have dead ants around your nest. So it, it looks like it works. What people forget is that the queen and many of the other ants are a couple feet below ground level. 
So you not only have to get the water down to them, but it has to stay hot, right? And the soil is cool. So as soon as the water starts percolating through the soil, it starts cooling off. Yes. So what they find is that if you use like several gallons of hot water on an ant nest, you actually will kill something like 50% of the ants. And the remaining ants may actually move away. So the nest is abandoned and it certainly appears as if it works. I see. But it's almost impossible to kill all the ants in that nest with boiling water because you just don't have enough water. You're, 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 adding, you're adding water to the soil solution, in a sense. And the soil solution is 8 degrees Celsius or whatever. Right. And there's way more soil solution than water. So it's, it's, just, it's just diluting and the, the thermodynamics of it all, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to bring the temperature two feet below the surface to a a killing temperature, an ant killing temperature. It, it would take an incredible, uh, yeah, I suppose if you could pump it right in and has some sort of jet, you know, but uh, yes, yes. But I think, yeah, it's, it's very possible people, uh, it's, it's, it's satisfying if you want to kill them because you're sort of like pouring, uh, like in the old days with uh, like a castle siege, you're pouring boiling oil <laughs> over the walls sort of thing. Uh, and I guess you get to see some dead ants and they, maybe they pick up and move on because they just decide it's not worth it to be uh, in that spot. But I mean, they could, they could, you could kill the ants in your carrot garden. They could move over to your tomato garden, I suppose. Uh, so it's not yeah. necessarily <laughs> the best move. Yeah. It's, it's not a good thing. I always have visions of someone walking out to the garden with a, a, a you know, a pot of boiling water and tripping <laughs> and it just, it just never made a lot of sense to me to do this yeah. in fact i this spring i i did a youtube video to see if boiling water actually kills weeds and so i went in the house and boiled up the water and i'm walking out with this kettle of boiling water and pouring it on the weeds and i'm thinking you know if if i have you know any size garden i mean i i'd have to have boiled gallons and gallons yeah the water how functional a lot i mean this is getting a little bit off topic but a lot of the um suggestions that i hear for pests in particular are are functional for maybe a four by eight garden yeah Um, but if you've got 10 four by eight gardens or 24 by eight gardens or 34 by eight gardens uh it's a lot of little dishes of beer for your slugs (laughs) Uh, like it's just you know and people will watch my i mean i've got a big garden big vegetable garden people will say you need some dishes of beer. I'm like, have you seen how big, how much beer? I, you know, uh, it's it's so funny that uh, these things tend to. Uh, they're just not necessarily scalable. Or picking the slugs off. Yeah. And I've got slugs that are the size of a sesame seed. Some of them, you know, yeah. some of them are barely visible, and it's really easy for them to hide. Sure, if they were all the size of my thumb, I could probably do it if I had the time. Um, but given that I have many that are the size of a grain of rice, uh, it's a bit of a chore. Um, okay, so that's boiling water. What else? What's another top uh, the one? The other ones is coffee grounds. Coffee grounds for ants? For ants. In oh fact, my. this is what started the whole thing for me a couple of years ago. I read this and I thought, oh, coffee grounds. Well, that's pretty easy to test, right? So I, I went out and I, I always have ants on my patio stones. And I took 
one of the nest's openings and put coffee grounds all around it and waited to see what happened. Well, next morning I came back and they had moved the coffee grounds out of their way and they were crawling all over it and they didn't care. They, they like coffee grounds. <laughs> it didn't do anything. Yeah, just be another organic substance, I would think. I mean, uh, I'd be afraid if they started actually using it in some way and they become even more industrious and harder working. Uh, you know. That's right. <laughs> a bunch yeah, of so that, that's a common one, but it doesn't work at all. Uh, the other one that's very common for lots of pests in the garden are essential oils. Essential oils. And of course, there's lots of different kinds of essential oils, and many people don't tell you which one they're using. It's they're just essential oils. Uh, what people associate with some of these products is the fact that they they have a very strong aroma, right? They they have this smell that they can sense, and people assume that other things, other pests, insects, will be. Um, will also smell that product and then they'll leave the area because they don't like the smell. So things like peppermint are supposed to work and um, uh, sage extract and a whole list of these things. They're all very aromatic. But I think the thing we forget about is that we smell a certain way with our noses and some things smell to us that doesn't mean that an ant smells it the same way, right? Or a mosquito or some other kind of insect or slug. They'll all perceive these chemicals in different ways. And it's quite possible that something we have that we can't even smell really stinks to ants, yes. right? So we can't assume that the insect world is all smelling the same sort of things we do. No, you, you walk by your uh, compost bin on a hot summer day, and it, it's a it's a hive of insect activity. It's the most offensive thing you can smell. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're not. They're they have different priorities. <laughs> different priorities. Their <laughs> smelling system works differently, and all these uh, all these uh, living forms will sort of sense chemicals differently they don't all have noses the way do, we do right right well also just i mean stating aromatic or um, essential oil uh that's a that's a broad selection of different chemical compounds right there, there's uh, many essential oils uh there's different concentrations of those oils uh it's an area that uh you know you could study forever um and you would you'd run out you would never run out of essential oils to try to get rid of your ants <laughs> yes. but in most cases those things don't work very well if the ants don't like the smell they may move over a couple feet and build a new nest yes. but it's not going to do any harm to the ants well also where i mean where i live a lot of things like that essential oils or things that people recommend for keeping deer away like um, cayenne or your borax like a lot of these things because it's uh damp here and it rains often and that sort of thing it's i mean it's it's only good till it you know if you get due every night which we do yeah we get due every night it's it's never enough to water the plants and in, in terms of it doesn't keep the soil moist um you can have you can wake up in the morning and every plant leaf is wet but you put your hand in the soil it's dry as a bone I and mean, the plants are getting something out of it because the foliage is getting wet 
um, but it's dry as a bone. But if you had sprinkled some sort of, you know, thing out there, um, that's definitely going to affect it. Um, also, as I imagine, these things are um, affected by sun, UV, that sort of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So how well do they persist? How, how long do they actually have any sort of effect whatsoever in your garden? Yeah. Um, got any more? Well, one thing I'd like to talk about actually is fire ants. Fire ants, yes, yes, please. And I, I've read about them and I've always read that they were down in the southern USA and sort of hot climates, you know, places like Texas and Arizona and they had lots of fire ants. And in fact, they do have fire ants down there. And I guess they can be pretty bad in a garden because you can't even go near the nest because they'll just jump on you and start biting you. They're very, I mean, I've, this is my first year having them. They, I noticed I had an ant that looked like, so we have ants here where the, the, the head is black and the bum is black, but the middle part's red. So we got lots of those, carpenter ants, and different things like that. So it's a larger ant, like a carpenter ant. Um, I think that's the category, the sort of larger one, right? Like maybe a centimeter long. Mm -hmm. um, but these ones, I noticed they were different in appearance because the, the middle part was red and the head was red. But what I noticed more than anything else is that they'd come right at you instead of scurrying away. If, you, if you're in with them, they climb right up your hand and they start going, they start getting in a, um, in a very agitated state on your skin, like they're freaking out. Mm. And you, you're just, I mean... I never let it get beyond that. I was like, what? I was, I was in picking some potatoes and there was ants, which is, I always have ants with my potatoes and I don't care. And all of a sudden they were climbing up my hand, but they were doing this really weird, freaky dance and it completely freaked me out. And I, I just shook them off and, and got them off as, as fast as I could before anything else happened. And then I started messing around with them. I noticed if I held my, actually one of my videos, I have footage of this where they're running around the ground and you, bring your finger within, I don't know, a few millimeters of where they are. And so for you Americans, that's like a couple sixteenths of an inch and they just stop what they're doing and they just start reaching up. <laughs> they like, they stop scurrying and they're reaching to try to reach you. They're aware that you're there. They don't know what you are, but they want to kill you. Um, so, and I couldn't believe I've, I've heard that they're here in Nova Scotia. Um, I thought it was more of a suburban thing, you know, people bringing in different soils and all that sort of stuff. Uh, my, my garden backs onto like a wild wilderness area forest. And the ants have, the, 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 the locations where I have the fire ants in my garden are on the very edge of the garden where it touches the forest, right? A, well, a protected wilderness area, <laughs> right? So they didn't come from, I think it's very unlikely because they came from the, the forest side of my garden, not from the street side. And right. where I live, this area was a forest like 10 years ago. There was maybe 11 years ago, there was nothing here. It was just forest. Um, so this is a wild area. So I don't know how they, how they got here, but they're definitely fire ants. They definitely behave like fire ants. I definitely have them and I can't believe it now. All I did was mess up, muss up the soil a lot and just jam, you know, and they seem to move. Um, they probably just moved a couple of feet to the left and, you know, I don't see them now, but they're there. They're, you know, they'll, they'll be around next year too. I, I didn't use any, um, I didn't treat them with anything. 
because uh, at the time I didn't know what they were. I just, they freaked me out. So I just took a stick and dug it all around and kind of freaked the nest up. And they must've just moved off, you know, somewhere where it wasn't such a, a rough neighborhood, but they're definitely here. I can't believe, I mean, you have a colder winter where you are, um, but uh, yeah, I'm surprised you don't have them there where you are yet. Well, I've never encountered them or I, I didn't think we had them. Well, it turns out that there actually are a type of fire ants in most parts of Canada, but they're a different kind of fire ant, right? So what we have is not the true fire ant that oh. you have down in the States. So, but, but it, in fact, uh, one of the articles I haven't written yet is to look into this and see, you know, what is the true fire ant and what is not and how do you recognize the difference and so on. But we do have an ant that behaves more like a fire ant, and some people do call it a fire ant here. But it's a different species than the one in the southern states. Does it have a stinger? I don't know that. I see. <laughs> That's my next blog post. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's look at it. I mean, I've had people, people talk about it here locally, that they've been stung and that sort of thing. I wasn't stung by them. They crawled up my hand. They behaved like no other ant I've ever seen, and they were aggressive. But I did not get stung, but I didn't, you know, perform an experiment with my body okay. to find out. Well, maybe you should. <laughs> yeah, for science. That would make a good video. <laughs> yeah, I'll get one of my kids, uh, yay, go play over there. <laughs> Don't need your shoes. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be, uh, but it's supposed to be unbelievably painful. Um, but, yeah. Well. yeah. Apparently, it's very painful, and they really attack you. Now, I've been bitten... Uh, or stung, I, I think they actually bite you, by very tiny black ants. And I usually find them in, uh, say, some pots or somewhere, or they're in a, a potted plant, and I'm, I'm working with the pot, and suddenly my hands are covered in them. And then one or two of the little buggers will, will take a nip out of my skin. Um, and they're very tiny, but it hurts a fair amount, but not very long. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't think those are fire ants. I think that's just a regular ant biting you. Right. Yeah. But again, well, that only happens when I'm disturbing their nest. Yes. And, uh, out in a garden, I've never been bothered by ants. No, that's right. Yeah. So the moral of the story is the ants are here to stay. They probably outlast humans. And you're not going to get rid of them in the garden. So you might as well learn to live with them. Yeah. Well, and I've dug up, I've got video footage of this where I've dug up potatoes. Beautiful looking. Kennebec, russet Burbank potatoes, flawless potato, and I'm literally pulling it out of a pile of ant eggs with ants everywhere. Hmm. So if that's not if that's not evidence that they're you know more benign than people tend to think, um, I, yeah, I'm amazed at the the human. It's almost like snakes, right? People see a snake, they want to stomp it, yeah. um, and uh, you know snakes are great in a garden too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a weird sort of thing we've got there, but, uh, all right, great. Well, Robert, it's been great having you on the show once again, and, uh, we love, uh, we love your myth busting and, uh, perhaps, uh, at the, in the show notes for this video and the, uh, uh, description box for the YouTube video, I'll put a link to the blog post you wrote, you wrote speaking to, what was it? You said 15 different ant myths. There's there's a at least fifteen listed, and then I 
I discuss some of the more prominent ones in a little more detail. <laughs> I'm so jealous of you because um, my viewers, they, they, don't, they don't like when I rant. Um, they seem to prefer uh, when I do videos where I'm sort of inspiring. Um, um, uh, and, but there's times when I do really want to like rant about stuff, but I've, I've found they don't, my, my particular viewers don't tend to want to watch them as much. So I, I don't make as many of those videos. Um, but uh, so I, I, I sort of, I rant vicariously by reading your blog posts because uh, <laughs> I can enjoy it a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, for those that, uh, if we didn't mention it earlier, uh, Robert's got a great uh, YouTube channel. His videos are very well done and uh, very well uh, laid out and very well presented. If, you know, if, if, it's, if the video is on a topic you're interested in, you'll, you'll probably get what you're looking for if you, if you watch the video. Uh, you know, of course, buy the books and all that sort of stuff, but uh, if you just want a five, 10 minute video instead of a book, that's a good place to go for it too. All right, everybody. So uh, this is episode 102. We're, uh, we're done. If you uh, enjoyed listening to this video, uh, please like, share, subscribe. If you enjoy what we're doing here with the podcast and the YouTube channel and you want to help uh, support all of this, uh, if my sponsor, Vessi Seed, sells something that you need, uh, buy it from them and that'll help uh, convince them to keep uh, working with us and paying for all the things that make this possible. So I don't have to pay for them. <laughs> I can just focus on making good content and uh, scrounging up great guests to have on the show. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Everybody out there, until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching.